Okay, Kevin, for the grand prize of $1 million, what color is the White House? Um, I know this, I know this, I know this. Um, five seconds. Oh, switching to Geico could save you a bunch of money on car insurance? Okay, judges? That's true, Kevin. Bill will it. Congratulations. You're a winner. Woo! Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Nonprofit You, a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. My name is Valerie Leonard, your host. Hi, this is Valerie Leonard. I'm sorry we had some technical difficulty. I want to say welcome to Nonprofit U, and this is a forum where nonprofit stakeholders can share lessons learned and discuss the latest developments in the industry. Again, my name is Valerie Leonard. I'm your host, and I'm a consultant to nonprofits. I specialize in community and organizational development, and I work with nonprofit organizations to help them make a stronger impact to their clients and communities. You can find Nonprofit U on Facebook and Twitter, and I encourage you to comment early and often using the hashtags Nonprofit U, IRS, or tax-exempt organizations. You can also leave comments on blogtalkradio.com forward slash nonprofit underscore U. You'll find a Nonprofit U fan page on Facebook, and the Twitter account is at Nonprofit U. The chat room is open, and you can post comments and questions. In order to use the chat room, you must open a listener-only account. You'll find a link to open the account on the episode page, and you can also email me questions at consulting at ValerieFLeonard.com or send messages through Facebook and Twitter. You'll find a Nonprofit U fan page on Facebook, and the Twitter account is at Nonprofit U. We'll be taking questions by phone and from our chat room at about the 20-minute mark, and the call-in number is... Three four seven eight eight four eight one two one. Again, that number is three four seven eight eight four eight one two one. Today's episode is thirteen reasons the IRS denies applications for tax exemption. Again, we encourage you to call in with questions and participate in live chats at about the twenty minute mark. The call in number is three four seven eight eight four eight one two one. And in case you forget, it should be on your screen in the episode page, nonprofit professionals and community stakeholders are especially encouraged to call in and share your stories. Today's discussion builds upon our December 7th podcast when we talked about starting and managing a nonprofit. And that discussion included securing your leadership team, developing a board of directors, submitting your articles of incorporation, registering the organization with various state agencies submitting your application for tax exemption, and we also gave pointers on how to run the organization once you get the exemption. If you haven't done so already, please listen to the podcast. The name of the podcast is How to Start a Nonprofit in the State of Illinois. This is, the, I believe, the 24th episode of Nonprofit U, and this will give great information and a good foundation for today's discussion. 
And it should also be noted that your chances of getting tax exemption range anywhere from, what, 82% to 94% if the last 13 years are any indication. So that's the good news. What the statistics don't tell us is how long it took the organizations to actually receive tax exempt status. Some organizations have been able to get tax exempt status within six months, and others have taken years. Depends on the IRS's workload, the degree to which organizations follow instructions, and how responses how responsive they are to the IRS's request for further information. Again, we'll be taking questions by phone and from the chat room at about the twenty minute mark. If you have questions, please feel free to call in or post in the chat room. The call-in number is 347-884-8121. But there are a number of reasons why organizations are not successful in receiving tax-exempt status on the first try. Again, your chances range from 84% to 94%. That's the good news. The bad news is we don't know how long it's going to take you, right? So I'm going to share 13 reasons based on my experience and based on discussions with the IRS for shortening the review process, right? And you really stand a good chance of shortening the process by really understanding the process and following instructions. So one of the most common reasons for being rejected the first time around is using common sense language to describe your organization's purpose. So, for example, if you're starting a preschool and, and the purpose is to get um, children ready for kindergarten, you know, that's your purpose in your mind, but you can't say that to the state of Illinois and you can't really say that to the IRS and expect to be successful. In the state of Illinois, there's 33 allowable purposes for which nonprofit organizations can be formed, and you have to choose one of those 33 purposes. You know, you can say education as a purpose, but, you know, when you put in layman's terms, you know, um, necessarily be explicit about the purpose, you know, as it relates to the state of Illinois' definition, it's conceivable that you won't be accepted by the state, let alone by the IRS. So, again, you have to use one of the purposes stated in the state of Illinois in your Articles of Incorporation, but even if you use one of those allowable purposes, it's conceivable that you can have a stated purpose in your Articles of Incorporation that passes muster with the state but not with the IRS. So it's very important that you literally plagiarize the information from the IRS. So if you go to the IRS website, you can get the language, and it says specifically uh, the purpose. Said corporation is organized exclusively for charitable, religious, educational, and scientific purposes, including for such purposes the making of distributions to organizations that qualify as exempt organizations under Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code or the corresponding section of any future federal tax code. So you literally have to copy and paste that. Say, well, what does that have to do with the purpose of my organization? Well, one, if you want to tax-exempt status, you really have to use that. But if you want to make sure that you your purpose, your intended purpose doesn't get lost 
in, you know, all of this legalese, you can also add a paragraph and you can say something to the effect that specifically, and then at that point, you put your stated purpose, okay? That way you satisfy the state, you know, because all of those purposes listed are actually acceptable by the state, you know, charitable, religious, educational, scientific, you know, those are three allowable purposes for the state of Illinois, but they're also allowable for the IRS, but the IRS doesn't want you to just use um, one or two words. They want you to use this paragraph explicitly. So in that way, you satisfy the state, the feds, and your own organization. So if the purpose is not described in a manner that conforms to the IRS language, your application will be returned and you will need to amend your articles of incorporation. So at that point, you have increased your cost in terms of time and money. So it's better to do it right the first time. A second reason is the failure to include language in the articles of incorporation that indicates that no insider including board members, officers, or any other individual will benefit financially from the organization. So you literally need to have an article, again, that uses the IRS language verbatim. No part of the net earnings of the corporation shall inure to the benefit of or be distributable to its members, trustees, officers, or other private persons except that the corporation shall be authorized and empowered to pay reasonable compensation for services rendered and to make payments and distributions in furtherance of the purposes set forth in Article 3rd hereof. No substantial part of the activities of the corporation shall be the carrying on of propaganda or otherwise attempting to influence legislation, and the corporation shall not participate in or intervene in, including the publishing or distribution of statements, any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for public office. Notwithstanding any other provision of these articles, the corporation, I'm sorry, shall not carry on any other activities not permitted to be carried on a, by a corporation exempt from federal income tax under Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code or the corresponding section of any future federal code or B, by a corporation contributions to which are deductible under Section 170c2 of the Internal Revenue Code or the corresponding section of any future federal tax code. So that clause really takes into account two things. One, um, making sure that people don't benefit personally, but it also goes on to saying that you know you can't use the organization for political purposes. So if any of that language is omitted, your application will be returned, and you'll need to amend your articles of incorporation. The third common reason is failure to include language in the Articles of Incorporation that indicates that upon dissolution of the corporation, the assets will be used for a tax-exempt purpose. So let me back up here for just a minute. One of the main differences between a for-profit corporation and a non-profit corporation is the fact that 
corporations, when they have earnings, they can distribute the earnings to its shareholders. By definition, a nonprofit doesn't have shareholders. They are literally owned by the community. So there are no profits to be distributed. So you have to distinguish yourself from a for-profit corporation by using this language. You have to include in your Articles of Incorporation this clause. Upon the dissolution, duration, assets shall be distributed for one or more exempt purposes within the meaning of Section 501c3 of the Internal Revenue Code or the corresponding section of any future federal tax code or shall be distributed to the federal government or to a state or local government for a public purpose. Any such assets not so disposed of shall be disposed of by a court of competent jurisdiction of the county in which the principal office of the corporation is then located exclusively for such purposes or to such organization or organizations as said court shall determine which are organized and operated exclusively for such purposes. So basically what that's saying in English is any nonprofit that goes out of business makes needs to make sure that the assets don't go to the employees or to the people who are running it, but it needs to go to the community, community being some other organization that's tax-exempt or some government agency. So basically it needs to go to uh, fulfill a charitable purpose. The fourth common reason that the IRS denies applications for tax exemption is because sometimes organizations, they can include all the right language, articles of incorporations, but they still may forget to, you know, forget the fact that they're not in business for the family, right? So they may not have structured this in such a way that the family is not controlling it, right? So, for example, tax exemption was denied to a college that had five family members as all of its trustees and three of them as its shareholders because of private inurement in the form of constant commingling of the funds of the shareholders and the college. A court found that the college was operated as a business producing or ultimately producing substantial revenues for its operators the net earnings of substantial portions were to be and were, in fact, distributed to the shareholders for their own personal benefit. So in that case, they clearly said, no, you can't be granted tax-exempt status because it's obviously uh, not a school, not a university that's going to be used to further um, some educational purpose for the community, but basically to enrich people. So I I know one of the problems that we have when we start our organizations is trying to find people that we trust or who will be willing to do the work on our boards. And often, you know, our first instinct is to reach out to friends and family, you know, because they're closest to us and they'll do anything for us. Um, This rule doesn't say that you can't have family on your board, but it does uh, suggest that the family can't be in control. 
So if you have family members, the family cannot have a majority of board members on that board because, like I said before, these corporations are really for the benefit of the public. They're supposed to be owned and operated by the public for a charitable purpose. Another reason why folks don't get the tax exemption the first go-round is the failure to include a certified copy of your organization's adopted bylaws. Okay, so it's helpful to include language that describes the organization's tax-exempt purpose, proves insiders from benefiting financially, and describing what happens to assets upon dissolution. Okay, even though that's not necessarily required, it's really, really helpful to include that, you know, in your bylaws. It maintains consistency throughout. And remember, too, that the state is going to be looking at your bylaws as well. And then some organizations actually make a mistake when they do their bylaws. They use boilerplate bylaws that are structured for for-profit businesses as opposed to non-profit businesses. So they may have language that talks about shareholders, talks about profit distribution, and, you know, that will automatically kick your application out, right? So typically, stock is issued and profits are distributed in the manner that are prescribed by the bylaws. So you don't want to have any of that language. That's a no-no because, again, you are a nonprofit. Okay. And then another reason why organizations fail to get um, tax exemption on the first go-round is the fact that the description of the organization's activities don't provide enough information or it gives the impression that the organization doesn't exist for a tax exemption, right? The IRS recommends that applicants provide enough information about the organization's activities to show that it will achieve the tax exempt purpose. It wants to know how you're going to achieve the tax exempt purpose. So without restating the purpose, applicants should explain the specific activities as to how they're going to achieve that purpose, and a recommended approach is to make sure the description includes the who, the when, the where, the why, and the how the activities are performed and to what end, and keeping in mind that this is for a tax-exempt purpose. And I also recommend that the time frame for the activities be over the next three years since the application for tax exemption covers a three-year period. These activities should be reflected in the financial information, and remember, you're going to have to do a three-year budget. So if you haven't started the activity yet, provide a clear description of how your organization will operate in the interim and and then how you will operate in the future that will include that activity. And if you're not sure that your organization will be able to implement the activity within the next three years, it's best not to even include it at all in the description because you don't want to leave anything up to question. So it's now 2.20, and if you have any questions, please feel free to call in. Um, the number is 347-884-8121. Again, that number is 884-8121.
we've got a um, few more reasons that folk mention, and then we can answer some questions, right? Okay, so the seventh reason that folks are not successful getting tax exemption the first time around is the failure to provide the required information on the principal officers and board of directors. And this includes stuff like names, mailing addresses, titles, and positions, and annual compensation. An eighth reason is the failure to have a director, trustee, principal officer, or otherwise or other authorized individuals sign the application for its exemption. So it's best to have the president, vice president, secretary, or treasurer sign and include his name and title. And I know that sounds like common sense, but a lot of people miss this simple thing. Um, You can't have your taxpayer's representative to sign the application and the original the original signature is required. You can't have any stamps, facsimiles, or fax signatures. A ninth reason that people don't get their tax exemption immediately is to failure to provide complete financial data. Make sure you read the instructions for Form 1023, which is the application for tax exemption. Make sure you read those pretty thoroughly. They're very clear for the most part. And if you find yourself reading the instructions and they're not clear, the IRS is very good about answering questions. So there should be a phone number on there for you to be able to call and speak with a representative who will help clarify um, the instructions and you can ask them any questions, right? So make sure you check the instructions to determine how much information you need to provide and based on how long your organization has existed. So basically, whatever you put in your narrative, you need to make sure that the budget reflects those activities. You should also make sure that all line items on the financial statements are accurate, make sure your totals are correct, and make sure that they're consistent. You know, because you know, from time to time you may use uh, you may have to put the financial data in different places. You want to make sure that they're, you know, whatever you say in one area is consistent with what you put in another area. And then reason number 10 for not getting tax exemption is the failure to include the monthly organization's fiscal year ends. You know, the fiscal year ending date on the application should always match the date stated in your bylaws on financial statements, on on any prior returns file. So consistency is the key. Whatever you tell one audience, you should you know, make sure that you're telling another audience. Whatever you put in your application in one place should always be consistent with the information in another area. Reason number 12 is the failure to attach a copy of the Articles of Incorporation or any other organizing document and all of the amendments. So if you have ever had to go through a process where you've had to amend your article, it's not enough just to the original articles. You have to put the original articles and all the amendments. The IRS wants to get an understanding of how you have evolved you know, from the original to where you are now. So if the applicant applicant is a corporation, the articles of incorporation must show proof that they've been filed 
and approved by the state. If the application is not a corporation, the group should include similar organizing documents. And, you know, that could be your articles of association, the constitution. I'm sorry, if the application is not a corporation. So if you're not a nonprofit organization recognized by the state, right, so you should include things like, you know, the legal name of the organization, the purposes of the organization, the constitution, bylaws, articles of association, and when they were amended. At least two members of the organization or association should sign the document, and then a trust document must be signed by the trustees and show the date of formation. And then for Section 501c3 applicants, the organizing document must comply with the organizational test for exemption outlined in Reasons 1 to 3 that we discussed above. Now, you might be wondering, if I'm not an organization, why would I need to be filing for tax exemption? Um, One example might be, you know, a, a case that I find myself in, you know, working with a group of organizations in the community on Chicago's west side in North Lawndale. And we've got several nonprofits at the table. We are doing a community plan. We, from time to time, solicit funds, but we haven't gone through the process of incorporating. We're a non-incorporated entity. If we ever get to the point where we raise more than $5,000, whether we incorporate or not, we're going to have to file Form 1023. So that's one example of why you might have to do a a Form 1023 even though you're not a formal organization. So there you have it. I have given you 13 common reasons why people don't get their tax exemption through the first go-around. You know, as I said before, you have anywhere from an 84 I'm sorry, 82% to 94% chance of getting your your tax exemption. The wild card is, you know, how accurate you do the form and the level of accuracy in your form, the the amount of time you put in it, the the ability to respond quickly to questions. That's going to play a huge role in determining how long it takes. As I said before, some organizations can get this thing done within six months. Others have taken several years, not seven years, but several years because they have not been as responsive. So a lot of the timeline depends on how quickly you respond to the IRS's questions, but hopefully the better equipped you are from the beginning you'll be able to minimize the questions that the IRS has. And, you know, time is money. The fewer questions they have, the quicker they will be able to actually approve your application and the quicker you'll be able to hit the ground running and raise funds. Okay, I'm going to open it up for questions one more time before we close. Um, The phone number is 347-884-8121. Okay, it doesn't look like we have any callers calling in. It doesn't look like we have any questions from the chat room. 
So I want to thank you so much for listening to the Nonprofit You blog radio talk show. The show will be available for download within about an hour. I do encourage you to uh, listen to the podcast on creating a nonprofit organization as well. And I would like for you to be sure to tune in next week for another lively discussion. Until then, take care of the nonprofit in you. Bye-bye. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how.